The Sword in the Stone, 1963. Continuing to move away from the pristine lines that define Disney formalism in the classic 50s style, Rytheman garners his first solo directing credit in The Sword in the Stone, another light-hearted coming-of-age story centering on young King Arthur. The whimsical charm of the film feels like a further evolution of the comedy in 101 Dalmatians, and much of the sketchy, unpolished aesthetic is retained with Rytherman continuing to utilize the lower-cost technique of Xeroxing that becomes a creative tool of its own. The film begins with another storybook cracking open that explains the King of England passes away with no heir, and the heavens deliver a sword stuck in a stone that can only be pulled out by the man destined to be the next king. The film then establishes its tone through the actions and performance of Merlin, a goofy old wizard that maintains a weird relationship with time. The performance of Merlin is what makes the film work. The comedy that circles him and bounces off an aloof Arthur effectively subverts the traditional and oft-told version of this story by creating an irreverent series of events that does not take itself too seriously. He knows he is expecting a young man to drop in who he will assist in an important future, but the details are hazy. In comes Arthur with his older brother calling him Wart, and he ruins his older brother's hunt before falling into Merlin's home and into the chair set out for him. Merlin's antics fill the picture with bright colors, jaunty movement, and a slapstick comedy that is more grounded than the antics of Alice in Wonderland. Merlin, much like the genie in Aladdin, frequently references future events or technology, and the visual and vocal performances effectively lend themselves to a character that is pointedly making jokes in a way that is non-traditional for the studio, including his iconic outfit and dancing that ends the film. In their introduction scene, Merlin tells Arthur that he will tutor him as he has not had traditional schooling, and Merlin packs up his home through a fun sequence where his furniture, books, and other belongings come to life and dance into a small bag in step with a song-like spell, a suitable mirror to Bippity-Boppity-Boo from Cinderella. Back at Arthur's home, the film establishes his conflict with his foster family that is driven by him being smaller and not attuned to the job of squire that he has been given. An effective piece of characterization for Arthur is that he genuinely wishes to achieve what they ask of him, and never blows it off, even if it is clear to the audience that their expectations are not suited to him, and that he is destined for something else with the tutelage of Merlin. Arthur is looking forward to taking the trip to London and helping them, where his older brother Kay will compete in a jousting tournament to be crowned king, as no one has been able to pull the sword from the stone. The film in Merlin then sets a series of trials upon Arthur through scenes that revolve around comedic magic tricks, including being turned into a fish and a squirrel. These sequences are entertaining and look good, especially the squirrel sequence, but the visual action does not convey much of a lesson that is learned and feels incongruous to what the film states as gained through these scenes. Arthur, of course, eventually pulls the sword from the stone at the film's ending, but it never feels like Merlin's training sequences provided him the tools to do that. When compared to the genie in Aladdin, it can feel like Merlin does not have enough of a hand in the antics, and often his best moments are non-impactful jokes that come from his reference to something that has not been invented yet, and how that, like everything in the film, rolls off Arthur's back. One of Arthur's lessons begins with Merlin trying to convince him that one day man will fly using machines, attempting to demonstrate with a model that gets caught in his beard and crashes. Archimedes, his pet owl, laughs himself onto the floor in an incredible performance before Merlin turns Arthur himself into a bird. Arthur's animal designs are flat and simplistic, but when Merlin also becomes a fisher squirrel, he is given recognizable features to be distinguished by more than just blue in his design. Arthur as a bird crashes into the house of a rival wizard that exclusively causes problems, Mim, and to rescue his student, Merlin combats her in a wizard duel. The wizard duel is the best sequence of the film. Mim is characterized as a menace with her sorcery as she torments Arthur as a bird in her house, and she instantly breaks the rules she puts upon the duel with Merlin. The sequence showcases the two transforming into different animals that are color-coded for readability, and the action is striking above the simple backgrounds. While Disney has created better transformation sequences, these movements effectively fit the lower scale and comedic tone of the film. 
Mim eventually breaks every rule she insisted upon by turning into a dragon, and Merlin's move to defeat her is to turn into a cell of an illness that she comes down with, and he leaves her in bed recovering as he takes Arthur back to his study. Merlin's usage of magic to complete Arthur's chores loses him the position of squire, but he is reinstated as his replacement has become sick ahead of the London trip. Merlin is disappointed in his genuine interest in this career, and when Arthur sticks up for himself, Merlin uses his magic to blast himself through time to modern Bermuda. This is an incredible and now iconic punchline for the scene, and it removes him from the final scenes in London. The following scenes in the snowy city are gorgeous, as most Disney settings in winter are, and Arthur finds himself preparing his older brother for a match but missing his sword. He runs back to town needing a sword and decides to borrow one stuck in a stone in the square, casually removing it and bringing it back to everyone's surprise. The townspeople make him prove that he can pull it again, showing that his older brother cannot remove it from the stone, and the young boy is crowned King of England. Arthur feels overwhelmed and inadequate for this role, and Merlin returns for the final moments clad in beachwear, telling Arthur that one day he will have a round table and be a wonderful king that will be written about for centuries until he eventually has his own movie. Arthur asks what this means, and Merlin simply explains it is like television without commercials, as the score swells with the ending title card. The Sword in the Stone deviates from many Disney traditions in creating an irreverent comedy, but it also creates a new step of development for the studio as it embraces the lower-cost techniques, style, and tone. Reitherman eventually stamps the 60s and 70s with these trademarks that leave the studio floundering ahead of the Renaissance, but that is in large part because this is the final film released in Walt's lifetime. All filmmaking is collaborative, but the Disney Studios' techniques are especially so because of how their staff divides work and unifies on a house style that is true to the orthodox mode. Through circumstance, Reitherman provides the closest example to an exception to this. Disney animation has faced multiple threats of being closed in favor of focus on parks and live action, a fact that may sound bewildering in 2021 following the box office and cultural success of Frozen. But through Reitherman's tenure, the studios stay afloat without Walt. Next up, The Jungle Book, 1967. Please go to ghostofjoe.com to see all these essays. You can also find a link to this one directly in the show notes of this upload. And there you will find in-text citations and works cited and share it with anyone who you think cares a lot about Disney animation. You can also find myself on Twitter at Ghost of Joe, Ghost of J-O. The music used in this audio version is from The Skeleton Dance, a Disney Silly Symphony short. Thank you for listening and reading.